Father God, thank you for your presence with us. And thank you, Lord, that you can draw each of us close to you. And we pray that you would tonight and you would encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know the world's funniest joke? I'll be just slightly disappointed if you do, but you might well. Uh, it's amazing what you can find out on Google. And this is, by a distance, apparently the world's funniest joke. And it involves Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. And they decide to go on a camping trip. And after dinner and a bottle of wine, they lay down for the night <clears throat> and they go to sleep. And some hours later, Holmes wakes up and nudges his faithful friend. Watson, look up to the sky and tell me what you see. And Watson replies, well, I see millions of stars. And what does that tell you, asked Holmes. And Watson pondered for a minute. Astronomically, it tells me there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, it tells me that Saturn is in Leo. Horologically, it tells me it's approximately quarter past three. Theologically, I can see that God's all-powerful and we're small and insignificant. Meteorologically, I think we're going to have a beautiful day tomorrow. What does it tell you, Holmes? Holmes is silent for a minute. And then he said, Watson, you idiot. Someone's stolen our tent. That is the world's funniest joke. God help us for the rest of them. <laughs> well, <clears throat> why do I start the sermon with that? Because it's a hot evening. No, because just sometimes, just sometimes, it's good to see the big picture. And it's good not to get our perspectives just muddled and clouded. And from time to time in Scripture, actually, you will find the leaders take time out to see the big picture. So Moses and Elijah, for example, go up a mountain to pray. And I've always thought they, they had to withdraw to see clearer. Jesus, we're told, withdrew to lonely places to pray. And sometimes... All of us, I'm sure. It, it's the little things of life or the things that come at you every day that just get in the way of seeing the big picture. They take up your focus. So it so easily happens to those of us who are on the staff here in church. You, we think we come to worship God, but in next to no time, we're thinking, oh, it's rather hot tonight, and what can we do to help people when it's hot? And then we think about the worship and the songs. Do I like this song? Am I going to engage with God in this? Or maybe it's things that are just going on in life. You can't brush them all under the carpet. They're very real concerns. Maybe there's an illness in your family or exams or financial concerns. And I don't need to give you a catalogue of all the things that could depress us for what's going on around the world. So I thought tonight we would just step back and we'd see the bigger picture of what God is always doing and is doing here and will do at the six o'clock service. Now, I wonder if we could have these verses up that are on slide. Are they up already? Oh, I see they're not up there. Can we have them on that one as well? Because I particularly like this verse that I came across in my quiet time during the week from Psalm 18. You, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness 
into light. And that's what I want to focus on tonight, the bigger picture of what God is up to. And I have this illustration that I have produced before, but I love it. The trouble with the illustration is it's so good, it tends to be all that anyone remembers, but let's go for it. Now, this, if you ever have to give a talk on what is the Bible about, what is the main story of the Bible, in, say, three minutes or six minutes, this is a very good way of illustrating it, because it is actually the story of the Scriptures. And the story of the Scripture, as you know, if you read the Bible, you don't read very many pages before things start to go wrong. You get to Genesis chapter 3. Up to Genesis chapter 3, God's world has been good, then it's been very good, and suddenly everything goes adrift. And we know it theologically as the fall. And you can think of it like this, that the world now is a dark place full of brokenness. And we see it that with disease, you see it with warfare, you see it in nature. And the story of Scripture is that God himself, in Jesus Christ, comes and lives in our broken world, doesn't he? And he experiences everything that man can experience in the way of suffering, etc. And I'm obviously going to speed this thing up because we know that if this represents the brokenness of the world, that Jesus on the cross takes it on himself and becomes clean. Yes, he bears our sin. And you're meant to be absolutely aghast at this. <laughs> and, and the thing actually is that for many, many people, that is where their gospel stops. That is like, are you saved, is the cliche question. Yes, I am. Great. I've been forgiven. My sins are white as snow. That's me. Now, that's all true. But the bigger picture is that God is setting out to redeem his world and to cleanse the whole world and to absorb all the brokenness. Yeah. That, that's the bit, right? That is what the psalmist is saying. My God turns my darkness into light. Would you like me to do it again? <laughs> it, it, it's a very good gospel summary, isn't it? But what I want us to focus on, the thing I want us to focus on is this is what God is doing. If someone asks you what's the point of our worship services here at St. Michael's, it's to, that we too will be part of this process of seeing God, seeing God light up his world. That's the big picture. My God turns darkness into light. And I want to remind us of a few facts uh, along the way. How does this work out? And the thing is that it happens little by little, one by one, by one. That's why we had the story of Nicodemus read to us. 
because that illustrates exactly how it works out. If you're sitting here as a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're sitting here knowing that he is your Lord and Saviour, it's because you have met with Jesus Christ. It has to be your story. Once you were blind, but now you see. And I want to encourage us to remember it's very unpredictable who God will call into his kingdom. You can't know in advance. You can't rule anyone out, and you can't really predict who will be in. If you ask me, who looks the most likely in Scripture to be left out from the kingdom of God? Well, frankly, Saul in the New Testament looks a dead cert to be left out. Someone who engaged in ethnic cleansing, someone who set himself up to oppose the church. Next most likely person to be left out, I would have thought, would be the Roman centurion at the foot of the cross, executing Jesus. I expect him to be left out. Another unlikely one is the thief on the cross next to Jesus. But all those three are in. <laughs> we know for sure they're in. Or put it the other way around. Um, who looks like a shoe-in to be saved? The Pharisees and Sadducees, frankly. They were the ones that got out of bed with the whole intention of pleasing God and keeping the law. And yet we know that God reserves, and Jesus reserves stern things to say on so many occasions. And I would never have thought, perhaps you would never have thought, that this guy Nicodemus would be saved. But he is. But anyone who's going to be saved has to come to Jesus. And this is what Nicodemus does. To be one of the people bringing freedom, turning darkness into light, you need to start right yourself. And I know I'm rehearsing what you know already, but spreading the kingdom of God is not complicated. It's just a case of being obedient. And leading people into Jesus' company has to be part of what we do. So Nicodemus makes his way to Jesus at night. And we're not going to look at the story in great detail. He's just a very good example because it took him a very long time, actually, to become a follower of Christ. In that first encounter, we don't know how he left the room. But later on in John's Gospel, he appears. In fact, he appears twice more. He appears once to stand up amongst the Jewish leaders and say, surely we shouldn't be sentencing Jesus or forming an opinion on him until we've heard about him. And then he appears right at the end of the gospel when he asks to collect Jesus' body after Jesus being crucified. He has become a believer. But he starts just with a conversation with Jesus and he says, I'm puzzled by you. I can't make head or tail of you. I can't see how you do the things you do if you weren't God. I can't see how you say the things that you do, the wisdom that you have, if you were not God. What's happening, you see, is he's being brought within the sort of, within reach of Jesus. 
And I hope, and my prayer is that this evening service will do that more and more and more and more. That we'll bring our friends along and people will be making a journey towards Jesus Christ. You may not have noticed, but when you go into a lot of large supermarkets like Sainsbury's, etc., and they have a bakery, they make sure that they pipe the smell of the bread to the front where you come in so that you get the smell of the bread and you, you end up buying it. It's like we have the phrase, don't we, smell the coffee. And it's like you need to get close enough to have a sense of who Jesus is so you can make your mind about him. Actually, as I was thinking about this talking, I was thinking it's quite shocking, really, that you don't have to get close to Jesus to reject him. I think a lot of people have decided that Christianity has nothing to offer them in life and they have no idea who Jesus is at all. But you do have to get close to him if he is going to make an impact on your life. And that's what we're here to help with. And then another thing I see from Nicodemus and his encounter with Jesus is it takes the work of the Holy Spirit. Evidently, Nicodemus was a really well-educated Pharisee. He knew the scriptures forwards, backwards, and sideways. And really, his conversation with Jesus is very abrasive and very abrupt. And Jesus cuts to the quick straight away, and he, he just says, Nicodemus, it's not more facts you need. You need to be born again by the Holy Spirit. And at this, Nicodemus is nonplussed and says, well, hang on, I, I, I'm not following you here. What do you mean? And Jesus said, well, the Holy Spirit's got to do something in your life. He's got to open your eyes so that you can see. He's got to capture your heart so that you can follow. In fact, what's got to happen to you, Nicodemus, is going to be so huge, we might even say it's like being born again. And when I think of that, I realize more and more what we're asking of people in turning darkness into light is huge. And Nicodemus, he has to go away and think about it. And here's another thing about darkness and light. Not everyone wants to leave the darkness. This is why this kingdom is such hard work to spread and takes so long to come. Even in the reading we had, John chapter 3, verse 19, this is the verdict, says scripture. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. At the heart of Jesus' call to us, at the heart of our mission to see the world go from dark to light, is a demand that Jesus' followers let go of darkness. And that's not easy. And that's not a choice everyone chooses to make. Because the habits of darkness capture us, and there are so many. And a life in darkness is hard to see your way through and out of. Much easier to go with the herd, isn't it? But Jesus describes himself as the light of the world. And scripture tells us that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And his invitation, his command is for us to follow him.
There's a, a very good illustration that I've heard preachers use. The only problem with it is I don't actually know if it's true or not. But it's a good illustration, and I'm trusting that it's true. And it begins like this. How do you capture a monkey in the jungle? And the illustration suggests that what you do is you take a coconut and you hollow out a little hole down one end of a coconut and you put something enticing to the monkey, a bit of bait, in there. And you attach it to a tree. And the monkey can only get its paw into the hole by putting his fingers together like that. And he does it, and then he grasps, or she uh, grasps the bait, and it's now a fist, and they can't get their fists out of the coconut. Now, I don't know if that's really how you do it. Um, if you do know if it's really how you do it or not, you can tell me at the end. But the illustration is good because it's a picture of we finding how we find it hard to let go of the very things that trap us. But if we're going to be kingdom builders, we have to do that. If you're in darkness, one of the things that you discover quite quickly is a sense of being lost. And I think that is one of the reasons the light, Jesus calls himself the light of the world, to give people a sense of direction, to lead you and me in a much, much better path. But feeling lost is not the only test of darkness. And it's not really a reliable test because you can be lost and you don't know it. So I want to suggest another challenge to see uh, whether we're walking in light or darkness. And that is to think of the very biggest challenge that Jesus actually undertook. And that is death. How do you think you're going to handle death? Because if you have any answer other than I'm going to rely on Jesus to give me new life, that suggests you are lost and in the dark. And Jesus came to take away our fear of death. I used to work in Cambridge, and occasionally, not very often, but occasionally I would go off to hear um, different people give lectures. And the bit that I would enjoy most sometimes, would be when it came to question time. And sometimes you would hear incredibly able speakers. And what I loved was how they could handle really, really difficult questions. And that was how you got to see who was <laughs> at the top of their game. I think without any question, the hardest question of life is how do you handle death? And you can look at all religions of the world and you will only find one, Christianity, in which at the heart of our religion is someone who dies and is raised back to life again. That is darkness turned to light. So let's move to the other half of a question, or the statement rather, in Psalm 18. You, Lord, keep my lamp burning. And I think I just want to encourage us to say, God does this. He's on the case with each one of us to make sure that our individual lights don't go out. It is jolly hard work to keep following Christ day in, day out. How does he sustain us then? Well, the obvious answer is by his Holy Spirit. He promises a heart transplant, doesn't he? 
And the heart transplant, as described in Ezekiel, is that he will motivate us to want to walk in God's ways. That's huge. Before you become a follower of Christ, frankly, you have no interest at all in walking in God's ways. But now, by the power of God's spirit, that in your heart of heart of heart of hearts is exactly what you want to do. God keeps his, our lamp burning through his people. In fact, really, I could summarize it like this, his people, his presence, and the power of his spirit and his word. But we need one another's encouragement. We need to come together to encourage each other, to worship together, and to help one another, because there are chapters of life that we just need help. The things that will rock us, the things that take us off course, are subtle. They're like a, a rip current or an undercurrent in the sea. But after so many years of Christianity, we don't have to scratch our head and think, well, what will take us off course? Because they're well identified. And they're identified like this, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the world simply is the pull of what everyone else is doing. It's just going with the flow. Doing what people who don't know God are doing. The moment you say that you're going to live life to please God, and that's what a Christian is, you're going against the grain. You're going to fight for every inch of progress. A picture I sometimes have used is it's like going up the down escalator all the time with roller skates. It, 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 you, you are making progress against the current all the time. in everyday decisions, because what does the world live for? The world lives for fame, fortune, pleasure, popularity, money. And a follower of Jesus isn't giving their life to any of these things. As Paul says, we make it our aim to please him. That's what we live for. That's how the light of the world comes. And the community of God's people strengthens us because it affirms in us, it's not weird to do this. It, it, it's, it's not wrong to do this. This is what you were created for. And it's not just the world, it's, it's the flesh as well. And how do I describe the flesh? Well, it's that inner battle that each of us has to strive after God. Because we all know, all of us know, what temptation is like. And it's not a sin to be tempted, but you sin when you fall to temptation. And we have to take responsibility for our actions. You can't spread the light if you're living in darkness. And so we ask God, fill me with your spirit. Help me. Help me to exude your light. And then thirdly, the devil. There is such a thing, isn't there, as spiritual warfare. The fight is real, but the conquest is real because Jesus Christ lived, died, rose again, and fills us with his spirit. So this is what's going on when we have an evening service and a morning service and when you come to worship. We say to the Lord, Lord, we want to see your kingdom come. We're trusting you to turn darkness into light. And that's what we're doing when we pray and when we worship. I sometimes think 
well, I know really, that when we stand to sing God's praise and we surrender our hearts to him, when we acknowledge before him, Lord, you are our creator and we're your creatures. When we say to him, come and be Lord of my life, at that point, the kingdom breaks through. At that point, something absolutely essential is happening. And at that point, we're pleasing God, no end. So why don't we do that? Why don't I say a little prayer and then we'll just worship the Lord together? Is that okay? Let's stand. Father God, thank you that you've commissioned us to be light in a dark world. But you've not just commissioned us, you've also equipped us. And you have said that you'll keep our lamps burning. We pray tonight that you'd help us just to let go of the things that hold us back. And you'd come, Holy Spirit, and you'd revive us and refresh us. In Jesus' name, amen.